here together. Praise the Lord. Thanks, Stephen. And uh, we're here continuing. If you haven't figured it out yet, we'll pray for you. Uh, but we are continuing on in this series about the bride of Christ, the church. And today you heard it in Ephesians 5. And we're asking this question, who are we? And so I thought this was, well, I find things funny sometimes you don't, but that's okay. You don't like humor. Um, about the Tate family. Some families make church their home. Others find other uses for the church. Take the notorious Tate family, for example. Dick Tate wants to run everything. Rogue Tate tries to change everything. Agitate stirs up trouble wherever possible. And irritate always lends him a hand. Hesitate and vegetate pour cold water on every new idea. Imitate wants to copy every idea she sees. Devastate loves to prophesy the failure of every new plan. Potentate wants to be the big shot. Mistate speaks without knowing the complete facts. And debilitate tries to cripple all the leader's plans. Decapitate tries to remove the leader completely, and regurgitate keeps trying to bring up old issues again and again. Gravitate changes her position at every meeting, and amputate has cut himself off from the group over a minor disagreement. There's the taste. You're not getting the humor. <laughs> and so today we are continuing in this series called The Bride, and I want talk about Christ's love today for his bride, the church. Our passage, you know, so many people, uh, that passage in Ephesians, uh, talking about the husband's uh, love for his wife, you know, be taken, and I'm sure it can be uh, written uh, for the relationship between husband and wife, but if you've got the wording in that passage of scripture, you realize that Paul is talking about Christ's love for his church. He makes it even known in that passage. So today we're looking at an important question. Are you married or just dating the church? Are you married to the bride, the church of Christ? Committed or are you just dating? See, dating is a trial period in a relationship where your commitments are very soft. Relationships are tentative. And you keep your options open. But, marriage is a covenant relationship of devotion, sacrifice, and praise God joy. And in marriage, you burn the ships. There's no turning back. And you only have eyes for the one to whom you have pledged yourself. It is for life. A full commitment. The church needs to shout that loud and clear. It is, what's why part of the vows you stand before others and make is what? Till death do us part. Now Mike and I always had a joke, who's going to kill who first? <laughs> but it is till death do we part. And statistically, the sad part of the condition of the bride of Christ in these days is one out of four church attendees are considered church shoppers. With no real devotion to any particular local church. An estimated 15 to 20 million North Americans, and this is an older number, I'm sure it's increased, have said that they are Christians but don't want to be a part of organized religion. 
don't want to be a part of a church. And around 80% of North American evangelical churches are what? Plateauing or declining. And just like the Tate family, these individuals love to flirt with the church and date with the church, but are not committed to the bride church. So I ask you again this important question we're looking at today. Are you married to the church, the bride of Christ, or are you just dating? I remember one time, many, many years ago, you know, we talk about that deeper commitment, being nominally uh, or on the fringes of the church. And there's a lot of people, even if we were talking to people today in West Springs, or even in your families, they would say that this is their church. They, they feel this is their church, but yet we don't see them. I wouldn't even know them hardly. But yet they would consider this their church. And see, we're living in a day where, where there needs to be this deeper commitment, but a lot of people like to be involved, but at a distance, right? Because once I get closer, that means more involvement. That means you get to know me. You get to know all my issues, my quirks, and my, you know, my, there's a lot of quirks. Anyway. <laughs> and I remember many years ago, we were in a little country church, and I, we were just brand new there. And when we went to that little country church, one of the ladies said, Pastor, I'd like, love for you to come over for tea. So I thought that was wonderful. And I went over for tea, and we got to know each other a little bit. And she had been through a lot in the church. She was hurt by the church. She was still there in the church, but get me right. She was still physically in the church. But she was not any longer in the church. You get what I'm saying? And she said to me, and I'll never forget it, and the Lord reminded me of it this morning. She said to me, Pastor Betty, I will never love you. That's what she said to me. That was my first encounter with her. I will never love you. I will never go through that again, what I've been through. So I will always, yes, you're the pastor of the church, but I am at a distance. I will never love you. And some of us, if we're not careful, that's how we think that the Christian life and the faith is okay. That I can experience all the blessings of Christ and be a part of his church when I need it. But I'm never going to be fully committed. I, I'm never going to love those that are there. The atmosphere is full of joyful anticipation. Families and friends are dressed in festive clothing. The room is decorated with beauty. People smile while tears fill their eyes. Why do weddings fill our hearts with such emotion? Perhaps experiencing the union of a bride and a bridegroom is reminding our hearts of a bigger story, of a greater story that we in Christ are all headed towards. It's that great love story of the world that we see echoed, right? The greatest love story of all. It is Jesus' love for his church, the bride. If you haven't already, God's plan, we've been working through this, God's plan for us is to make a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. To know Him personally as our Lord and Savior. To know that our sins have been nailed to the cross with Him. And we no longer have to carry the shame of that sin because it has been paid for and we are fully forgiven by Christ when we accept Him. I made it known last week and I'll say it again today. And then, in order to show the sign of the new covenant, 
of being part of the bride of Christ, the invisible, triumphant church that spans all the years until the Lord tarries to come back. I go through the waters of baptism because baptism is that sacrament commanded by the Lord. We have two sacraments, communion, which was commanded by the Lord, and baptism, which was commanded by the Lord. And we go through the waters of baptism. The waters of baptism is that sign of the new covenant that we are part of that invisible, glorious church, the bride. But guess what? Then you live it out where? Right here. You have to exercise that visible, invisible reality in a visible place, location. Remember, the church is not the building. The church is the people. She is the people. <coughs> Notice that all throughout church history, we refer to the church as what? She. It's not an it. It's a she. And that very reason for us to bride of Christ. But I am a part of the invisible church of Jesus Christ. But I reside and I live it out right here at the Elmsdale Church of the Nazarene. This is my church family. This is where I live out my faith. This is where I show my commitment to Christ and his kingdom and to his bride by my commitment amongst the body of believers. And if it's not here, it needs to be somewhere. So especially to those that are listening online today. We have not entered into a religion. We have entered into a relationship. And it isn't a contract. It's a covenant. God has called us into covenant. That's a much stronger word. On October 21st, 1978, Pastor Mike and I entered into a covenant together called marriage. And at that time, I took his name, and the two became one. Now, I always say to couples in marriage preparation, something's got to go. <laughs> Do the math. Two, don't become one unless you subtracted something. Right? And it's our ego and our willing and wanting it all our way. And so there was a covenant that was made on that day. And any of you that are married here today, you entered into a covenant. And it's beautiful because we've said, and we don't have time to get into it today, but all throughout the Old Testament is this vision of God's covenant with Israel. God espouses himself to his people, and he uses this marital language. He says that all throughout the Old Testament, his people were often faithless. And you see the book of Hosea deals with that. How unfaithful Israel was. But the bridegroom, the Lord God himself, is always faithful. Amen. Always committed. When we are not. And I love this passage. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, says the Lord, so will your God rejoice over you. Isaiah 62, 5. Some of the later prophets began to talk about a day that would come, a day of a new covenant, a day when the covenant would not just be written on stony tablets, remember Moses and the law, but a day when the covenant would be written on our hearts. And that is possible today because of Jesus Christ. He has come and he has ushered in the new covenant that we get to be a part of. And so we said the previous weeks, we ask, why? Why church? Why bother? Why in this world that on a Sunday you can find anything and everything else to do? Why would people still gather in a church building? 
And so we talked about that we as the Church of Jesus Christ here at the corner, we exist for what? We exist solely for God and for His glory. Not about you and your needs and your wants and your wishes and the songs you like to sing and somebody got your nose out of joint over something. It is about God. The church exists for His glory. Then we said, you know, why do we go to church? What are we supposed to be doing? And we know there's lots of ministries in this church. There's lots of things we can be doing. But the one important thing we must ask first of all before we try and attempt anything is we all need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled to the uttermost. I love that statement the old saints used to say in the church of Nazarene. I've been filled to the uttermost. That means that as much as the infilling can take, I, I want it. I want whatever God has for me. I want His Holy Spirit to empower me. I want the church to be empowered by His Spirit. I want to hear His plans that He has for Elmsdale Church the Nazarene. I want to hear His voice louder than any other voice. Amen. I want to sit at His feet like Mary. Yeah, there's times to be Martha in the kitchen. But I want to have those moments where I sit at His feet and I receive from Him. God is looking for a church, a bride, that loves to sit at his feet. And so we are called to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Before you attempt anything, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we talked about we need this continual, fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Because life is difficult, and life is hard, and life throws us curveballs. And we can find ourselves dry and empty. And we need a continual infilling and empowerment of the Holy Spirit to walk this walk and to fight this fight called faith. So now today, who are we? Who are we? Ephesians 5, as we were read by Pam, tells us who we are. And there are two things very particular there that tells us who we are as the church. One thing we're told is we are His beloved. He loves us. And then we're told about how beautiful or handsome, if you want to use that word, men, we are. Look at someone and say, you are loved and beautiful. Oh, you're so on the wall again today. You are handsome. Maybe the men want to hear that today. You are handsome and loved. So the church is loved by God. Just like a bridegroom loves his bride, God adores his church. He hasn't merely professed his love in words, though. Notice what he has done. He has showed his love by what? Laying down his life for us, his church. Paul says that to the church in Ephesus, but he also said it in Romans 5, verse 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We know that there is no greater demonstration of God's love for us, the church, than Christ laying down his life for us. Sally Lloyd-Jones explains that the Bible is a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace and his throne, everything to rescue the ones he loves. And so Christ loves us so much today that he was willing to die for us. I don't, I, I don't know of any other love like that. Think about it. 
I mean, we have great love. God has blessed us with love. Love uh, between a husband and wife. Love for children. Love for our friends. Love for our church family. But no one has loved me like that. That he was willing to lay down his life for me. That's how much Christ loves us. He died, uh, Paul says to the church in this passage, he died to make us holy. He cleanses us by the washing and his word. He desires to present us to the Father on that great day without stain or wrinkle or blemish, and we will be radiant. We're to be holy and blameless. And so Jesus wholeheartedly, unconditionally loves his church. We see that in the passage that was read, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Men, that's a heavy, that's a heavy burden to bear. And we'll get on that's not even today's message. But that's how you're supposed to love your wife. The way that Christ loves his church. See, Paul uses the word here, many of you have heard it, agape. That's the love that Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about warm fuzzies. He's talking about that deep commitment. That Christ is deeply committed to his bride, the church. And he is willing to sacrifice whatever he needs to for his bride, the church. That's God's agape, and that is the word that is used here. You know that moment. That moment where we're all in the church. Maybe, it's a, maybe sometimes it's not in the church. But the bride begins to walk down that aisle of the, of the, to her groom. And everyone rises to their feet. And all their eyes are on her. And, and she is beautiful. And she's radiant. And she's adorned in white as she comes down that aisle. But see, I get a, I got a special vantage point as a pastor. Because I get to stand here at the front when I watch that. And I get to stand next to the groom and I, I, I watch that bride walking up the aisle. And it's just such a beautiful moment. All eyes are on her. It's her day. And then I love to do something, which is I turn to see the groom. And I see him grinning ear to ear. Some, some will weep. And there's great anticipation as he sees his bride coming towards him, willing to pledge herself to him. It is a beautiful moment. And I believe, because of what we read in Ephesians, it is a small picture of that beautiful moment we're all waiting for when that day will come. Now hear what I want to say here. Listen. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, we used to hear. Right? And, and, and I've heard a few people say, it's not always the nicest thing, what is she doing with him? Haven't you heard it? I've heard people say, what? <laughs> right? And it's not the best thing to say in a wedding. Right? Or, or you've heard him, you hear him, and, and you hear about people saying, well, you know, what does he see in her? And so beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. Right? Here's the key. You can be both beautiful and loved and not perfect. Get that? You can be seen as something beautiful. You can be so loved, but you're still imperfect. You're still fallen. You're still broken. And, and, and you know, you see this in couples that, that no bride is a perfect bride. No, no wife is a perfect wife. 
there is always, as she comes forward to get married on that day, that husband, that groom, is not looking for her to be perfect. He loves her the way she is. He loves her, and he sees her as beautiful, and that's all that matters for that wedding to take place. Now, hopefully you're getting the point. We're still, as a church, a work in progress. We're not perfect. And we never will be. We can be perfecting, but we're not perfect, and we never will be. But that doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love us and doesn't see us right now as something beautiful, radiant, and glorious. He sees us as something beautiful. I like what John Stott says. What stands out here is the sacrificial steadfastness of the heavenly bridegroom's covenant love for his bride. In, in the verses that follow here, we can see that this holy love for the church moved him with purpose to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of the water, a symbolization of baptism. And, and by the word of God, he's working on her, he's making, he's perfecting her. She's not perfect, but he's helping her, and he's leading her on by going through the waters of baptism, and now the washing of the word continues to cleanse. This is why study of God's word is so important, growth and maturing in our faith. Because he's washing us. You know, the, 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 the uh, theological word here that he's talking about is our justification. We say that through Christ's blood and the shedding of his blood that cleanses me, justifies me. So you had a rap sheet that stood there before God's throne and he has cleansed you and it is now blank. That's your justification. That's what Christ is doing with his church. He is cleansing her. And Christ is totally committed to his church. And the more that I come to Christ, and the more I become Christ-like, guess what flows from it, my friends? I become more committed to what Christ is committed, and I begin to love what Christ loves. So there's the saying there. If Christ is committed to his bride, and Christ sees his and loves his bride, the more I'm like Jesus, guess what happens? I become more committed and more in love with his bride. I like what the praise said. I love the church. The church that God is establishing that Jesus died for. So I'll never have any negative thing to say about his church. Man, that's a challenge. If you're going to be like Jesus, you won't date the church anymore. You won't stumble over her imperfections that are going to happen when a group of imperfect people gather together. You'll just realize that the church has its flaws. But it's what Jesus died for. And the bride is loved by Christ. Therefore the bride, the church, is loved by me. Got very quiet in here. The church is beautiful to Christ. The church is portrayed in the Bible as washed and splendidly pure because of the work of Christ. Though the church is made up of sinful people, praise God for his redemption and the power to transform us and change us and restore us into what he wants. It's how he sees the church. And so for him, the church is whole. The church is holy. It's glorious. See, sometimes we don't get this, but I remember hearing this about looking at Jesus calling his disciples. And so when Jesus called his 
disciples, some say, abandon misfits. Anyone be a misfit for the Lord? What does God choose? He chooses what? The weak. That his power might be manifested. I'm living proof of it. The weak. The broken. On, you know, flawed. Flawed. That's what God chooses. So that his power might be, you know, made known and seen in that person. That people can say, well, it's only God that could do that because she can't do it. And so he picks these 12 misfits. The last that any of you would have picked or I would have picked. Look at the Apostle Paul. Who would have picked him? A murderer. And nobody would have picked him to be and do what he did. See, God does not see you where you are today. Praise God. Amen. Guess where he sees you? At your full potential with him. And so he saw those 12 misfits where they would now take the church forward as we read in the book of Acts. Once the Holy Spirit filled them, as we saw last week, Peter came and preached one of the most powerful messages. That was because you had Peter, the one who denied him, now filled with the Holy Spirit. Christ saw Peter at his full potential. And Christ sees us as his bride, the church, at his full potential. There's a word that's very important today. You know, we've been learning words together. And this is what the church is. The church is the ecclesia. Now, ecclesia is a Greek word that was used in ancient Greek to talk about a gathering and assembly. But what was known was this word ek and kaleo. Ek meant out. Kaleo meant to call. And so the real uh, literal meaning of the ecclesia is the called out ones. And so this is, we call it ecclesiology. When you're talking theology about the church, it's called ecclesiology. And we are the ecclesia. That's why I said to you, it's not the building. We're the church, because we are the called out ones. Called out of where? Of the world. Called out of everyday life. Called out to be his prized possession. To be something different. To be something glorious. This is why holiness and purity and living a life that honors God is important. Because we are the called out ones. There's supposed to be something different about us. Now, one thing, I, I've never prayed it, but maybe I need to pray it. Maybe you need to pray it. But the Old Testament and some of the other places said that we are a, maybe it was more King James, we are a peculiar people. Look at someone and say, you're peculiar. <laughs> what is that saying? We're supposed to be different. This community of faith here at the corner is supposed to be different than any other gathering in West Prince. The church is called out by Christ to be his and to be attractive, to be a place that people will be drawn to. There's a lot of good organizations in West Prince, but they're not the church. They're not the ecclesia. They cannot save people. They cannot see transformation in people's lives and marriages and see addictions changed and homes transformed. Only Christ can do that. We have one of the, we have not one, we have the greatest message. We are the hope, not just our church, you get what I'm saying. We are the hope of West Springs, right here. And so we're supposed to be the called out ones, a peculiar group of people. We don't do here what other places do. Sorry, but it's, it's the church. And the moment we start doing that and put our emphasis there, we cease to be the church. Because we are supposed to be a peculiar group. So don't be ashamed of it when people think you're an odd bunch. 
We're looking at Soap right now. <laughs> Don't be ashamed of it. Because you're a part of this bride of Christ. And we are called out of where? Called out of the world in order that they might be a possession of him. Called out of darkness into light. Called out of the burden of his wrath and into the beauty of his mercy. Called out of lostness and waywardness into a life with him and joy and so on and so on. Have you heard his call? I pray you have. Have you responded to his call? Because that's so important. And so we are a called people, the Church of Christ. We are called to assemble. We're called to submit to the head. We're called to be different. We're called to be pure. And we're called to be ready. We will look at that next week. There's one last part that he says in this passage that's important for us to nail down. And so I like what somebody says. We aren't called to be like other Christians. We're called to be like Christ. So my journey never stops. Because every day, I know there's parts of me that's not like Jesus. <laughs> and it has to be crucified and nailed to the cross with him. And I am crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. But now, I live for him. But there's something that he says in this passage that's important. Verse 25, he's telling us that it's the bride of Christ. But then he goes on to verse 30, and he calls the church the body of Christ. That's another metaphor that Paul uses, that we are a body. We won't get into that today. But, you know, if you went into an establishment, somebody after a while will say, well, who's in charge here? So who's in charge of the church? And I have all respect for these positions, but... It's not our general superintendents, and it's not our district superintendent, and it's not the pastors, and it's not the church board. It's Jesus. He is the head of his church. This is why prayer is so important. Because we can do church. I've done church for how many years now? I can do church. But have I gotten directions from him? Am I doing what he would have me do? Am I praying for what he would have me pray for? Am I saying what he would have me say? See, there comes a point where a lot of people have an issue about respect or submission, but we all are to be submissive people. I don't have that argument with my husband. And there, you know, I get these ones, well, I won't say that statement, Pastor. Don't put it in the, in the wedding. I, don't want, I will not submit to him. But God, not the marriage. That's all I've got to say because both have to submit to each other. And he gets the... <laughs> He gets the harder part of the deal because he has to love you like Christ loved the church and he has basically died for you. If that's not submission, I don't know what is. And so there's this mutual submission and so there's that picture that Paul is trying to say that this role of husband and wife who submit to one another and come under the submission, this is the part of us as the church of the body of Christ. We all submit to Jesus Christ. He is the head of his church. So who's in charge around here? Christ. Jesus. It's his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against him. So why do we exist? Well, we exist for the glory of God. What do we need to do before we do anything? We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And today we need to nail down, and I'm looking up, that Christ is the head of the Elmsdale Church of the Nazarene. This is his church.
He's in charge. And so we have this image of the bride to show his devotion and love. But then we have this image of the body to say that he is the head and now I take my place. I have a role to fulfill because I am a part of the body. Uh, he talks about that if you back up in Ephesians 4. The body is being built up in love as a part. Each part is willing to do their part. As I bring this to a close, I ask the worship team to come. Have I been hurt by the church? Definitely. Was there enough for me to walk away as a pastor? Probably. I could have. There were times where I felt like it. In all the years of ministry. Is there is there hurt? Yeah. But I'll tell you one thing. I've allowed Jesus to pour in the oil and the wine and bring the healing. So there's scars there that I can point to him, but they're no longer festering. They're no longer festering. Because she is beautiful and she is loved, but she's not perfect. And so that invisible church is perfect. I'm waiting for that day. But where do I flesh out my faith? In a band of misfits. And I'm the biggest one of them all, all I would say. And we're all on a journey doing our best. And we're trying to be more like Jesus. And sometimes some of us are pretty broken. By the time we get to the church, we're pretty broken. And so you might not mean anything by it, but you can say something and I'll go, ouch. And it's not even you, it's more about me, that God is still healing me and working in things in me and helping me to have a soft heart but a tough skin. I've had to learn that as a pastor. But I have a new love and appreciation for his pride. I love the church. I love this church. I thought this was funny. You might not think it was funny again. Someone wrote about those who have not loved and saw the beauty of Jesus' church. Never go to your church or meetings out there. If you do go, be late. It's no one's affair. If the weather is bad, either too hot or snowing, just stay home and rest, for there'll be others going. But should you attend, be sure to remember to find fault with work each official and member. Be sure to hold back on your offerings and tithes. The bills will be paid by the rest of the guys. And never take office if offered the post, but eagerly criticize the work of the host. If not on a committee, your place to be sore. If you find that you are, don't attend anymore. When asked your opinion on this thing or that, have nothing to say, just turn them down flat. Then after the meeting, shine out like the sun by telling how folks how it should have been done. Don't do any more than you possibly can. Leave the work for some other woman or man. And when you see faithful ones work themselves sick, then stand up and holler, it's run by a click. It's funny, but it's not funny. So here's the question again today. Are you fully committed to Christ's bride, the church? Fully committed. Or are you just flirting and dating the church with no commitment? I pray that you see the importance today to be fully committed to Christ's church.
to be fully committed if this is your church, to Elmsdale Church of the Nazarene. Because, you know, there's something wrong when we say, Jesus, I love you, but I want nothing to do with your brother. It doesn't go, my friends. It doesn't work. The two must go together. I love the poetry of this great hymn. And if you have time, you might want to read the whole hymn again yourselves. But this first, you know, you think about how theologically sound this hymn is. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. Jesus today loves his bride, the church. And she is radiant and beautiful. Is that how you see the church today? If it's not, you need to do business with God. If you've been hurt by the church, if there's things you're holding, if you're like that woman that I went to visit and she had been so hurt by the church, she still sat in the pew, but she was not part of the church. And she said, Pastor, I will never love you. I will never love anyone in the church. If that's you today, you need to give that to Jesus. You need to be healed of that. And you need to know because that's what he came and died for. If the church means this much to Jesus, isn't it time for it to mean that much to us as well? Isn't it time to nail your colors to the mass? Say, this is my church, this is where I belong, pastor and leaders, you can count on me. You know, we're going to be looking in a few weeks down the road, the opportunity to take membership class. And I've talked to those and I'm saying to you about baptism. There's some of you that your commitment is going to come forward by saying, Pastor, I want to hear more about baptism. And others, it's going to be, you know, it's time for me to nail it down that this is my church family and that I want to be taken into membership here. I am a member of the Elmsville Church of Nazarene. That's not today, but I will be talking about that in weeks to come. But you need to be praying about it. Let's sing this closing song. And if you want to say to the church today, and if you want to say to Jesus, I, I'm committed here. You can come to the floor, you know, to the front of the church. You can heal. Some of you would say, Pastor, I need Jesus to heal me with my attitude, my mouth sometimes, the way I've spoken about the church. Uh, I need Jesus to heal my broken heart. I've been hurt by the church. Whatever it is today, nobody needs to know why you came forward. That's between you and the Lord. And if you come to the sides, they don't see you on the screen. Pastor Mike is going to shut down the camera anyway. We'll have that. We'll sing as we sing the first verse, then Pastor Mike will shut the camera down. And we'll say farewell to those online. And I, I just want you to say, if you're feeling the Spirit is speaking to you and you need to make a commitment today, I invite you to nail it down today. Today is the day to nail it down. And we'll then have a time of prayer.